Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. It's Chappie, your British butler. It's Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. It's episode number 130. And we have a very exciting show for you today. A little bit of a different show. Straight off the bat, I'm going to be spatchcocking a chicken. It's very early here in Colorado, and I've uh, decided I fancy a roast chicken. But I fancy a roast moist chicken. I don't fancy a dry old bird. And just doing a little bit of research, I uh, saw Etan on uh, Instagram, many other chefs um, cooking these spatchcock chickens, brining them first. So I've got a little bit of brine going on. So I've got a cup of apple cider vinegar, some bay leaves, garlic, onions, um, various uh, sort of sage herbs or herbs, as uh, the Americans would say. Um, that's boiling, so that's cooling down as we speak. So uh, today, live on the podcast, we are going to be uh, spatchcocking a chicken. I am a virgin when it comes to spatchcocking a chicken. Do I know the neck end from the bottom end? Uh, Probably not. So um, a little bit of chicken anatomy has to be researched. And for any vegans, I would sort of listen away for about maybe 10 minutes, 15, 20, half an hour, hour, two hours. I don't know. Well, I've got 10 hours of this nonsense playing behind me, so um, we have plenty of time on that. So... We're going to get straight down to it. You need some uh, chicken shears, or as uh, uh, we call them in the Western world, uh, scissors, and, um, and make sure they're nice and sharp here. So when it comes to uh, uh, spatchcocking, uh, scholars are very unsure about the exact origin of the term, but it sort of dates back to the 18th century. The word is used as a verb to spatchcock a chicken as an adjective as in spatchcock chicken as in a noun, the finished spatchcock bird. Basically, it's a method of preparing the chicken for cooking that involves removing the backbone. Yeah, many have said that I haven't got any backbone, uh, but today um, for this uh, poor bird, I'm going to be removing the backbone and then it can be opened out flat. Butterflying the method results in a shorter cooking time and allows easier access to the cavity and exterior of the chicken for seasoning purposes. So anyway, so we're gonna get down to it now. Um, I've got a, a corgi like whining in the background here, yeah, salivating over this chicken here. So we're just gonna move this over to one side here. So before you begin the spatchcocking process, you need to prep the chicken. So we've got the brine going, as I mentioned, but you had to remove the neck parts and the gizzards so just like just mo- taking out some of the uh, like the neck neck pieces gizzards. Now that would be perfect for a lovely sort of soup or maybe gravy or something along those lines. So make sure you save those. So you can also freeze them, put them into a stock later, something along those lines. So um, I've rinsed the chicken already and I've dried it and it is now breast side down. Uh, on the cutting board. So bottoms up, so to speak. Now, as I said, I have no anatomy training, so I don't really know uh, which uh, end, of the ch- end of the chicken from the other, which neck from the bottom area. Um, you know, maybe I should have done some research beforehand. Uh, but we're now going to cut, cut along the backbone. So we're gonna press it down, flattening it slightly to remove it. And you can either use a pair of poultry shears not poultry, no, I mean, it's not a whole poultry city, poultry, poultry shares, or kitchen scissors. So you need to cut along the right-hand side. You can feel the right-hand side of the backbone. 
Run your finger along, you feel the right hand side. Oh, but uh, let me just make this. Uh, all uh, all vegans, please uh, turn away from uh, from your headphones for the next 10 minutes, 15, 20, hour, two hours. I mean, I don't know how long this is going to take. So anyway, just turn away. I, I'm probably lost a lot of vegan listeners anyway. So I wholly, wholly apologize. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do something uh, more vegan orientated next week, shall we? You know, do a, do a nut roast or something. Smash cock and nut. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> so cut along the right hand side of the back and tail, tail to the neck. So it's a slow uh, process here as the uh, scissors go through the skin um, along the backbone, tail to neck. And that was remarkably easy, actually. So if, if your scissors are sharp enough, I mean, ch- children's scissors probably wouldn't work in this case. Um, but yeah, make sure your scissors are sharp. Give them a sharpen beforehand. Okay, so now you do the same along the left side, along the backbone, and it's almost like an incredibly thin rectangle going uh, from the neck to the bottom, the neck to the posterior. Okay, you could just pull that right out. Uh, it's 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 pretty easy, and uh, you know the neck's being removed again. You freeze that, use that for a stock or something along those lines. So next, next you want to um, flatten it out a bit. So flatten the bird. Uh, so again, breast side up this time, put a little weight on it, put a, put a little bit of weight on it now, and, uh, and, and it flattens out very nicely. So uh, that'll be perfect for seasoning. And uh, for me, I'm going to um, put some ice into the brine now, and uh, I'll pour the brine into uh, like a bigger Ziploc bag, probably a couple of gallon Ziploc bag. Put the chicken in there. So you've got the salted brine, apple cider vinegar, apple vinegary, and uh, some herbs, 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 um, and also some sage and all, the, all those lovely poultry seasonings, that type of thing. So, and then I, I'm gonna leave that in there maybe overnight uh, so it'll be perfectly brined uh, for the next day ready for the roasting i will promise you i will put some pictures up once it's cooked but i don't think anybody wants uh, a piece of raw meat on instagram right now uh, you know no, no no you want nicely roasted nicely crispy a little bit of stuffing on the side roast potatoes maybe yorkshire pudding drowned in gravy that is the plan and we'll see how moist how much easier it cooks when it's flattened out and spatchcocked. So there we go, live on the podcast. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese. You had a spatchcocked chicken. So I don't know about you, but this time of year, I do like to cook. So the chicken's now brining. I think I'm gonna make a curry today as well. So I'm using the uh, uh, um Indian recipe for butter chicken, which involves like marinating in, I, I like to marinate in coconut yogurt, the chicken beforehand. So it's a big cooking day today, and also there will be some naan bread. I know that the naan bread is a is a favourite amongst many, uh, including uh, including myself, amongst the listeners out there. A little bit of buttered naan, very very delicious. So a lot of uh, a lot of cooking here today in the Chappy household, but some of the other things coming along the way on the podcast today. Uh, we've also going to be my rediscovery of sweet cream rediscovery of sweet cream uh, also my you know, issue 
issues with short legs. I mean, I have short legs myself, but I found like even in a cramped space when I'm sitting down, I've run an aeroplane or a concert hall or anything like that. I'm still having issues, even though I have short legs and I'll be explaining later on. We're going to have the return of a very autumnal jumper Jenga, but it's jumper Jenga unzipped today. Sounds sort of slightly pornographic, doesn't it? Well, you'll see what uh, what happens later later on later on in the podcast here. Um, also, my uh, distaste uh, of uh, Halloween lights—it's all getting a little bit tedious now. The American pronunciation of uh, croissant—we'll uh, be discussing it later. It's, it's croissant, that's the, the correct pronunciation. Conquer championships, uh, how to make a conquer harder. Also, the whole issue with uh, Crocs. Now that sticking things in, now we mentioned this yesterday, sticking gibbets into Crocs. Uh, also, bringing back the weighted blanket. We talked about this at all. The paranoia of eating pickle. Um, also, how I did use good luck with your future endeavors. I mentioned this yesterday. Uh, we'll be talking about that also today. Um, the uh, Pajama Man, Mr. Pajama Boy, he... Uh, He's now wearing a matching plaid jacket. So he's got his, um, you know, Campbell tartan or whatever he wears. Uh, his, his ass crack showing as always. And then he's got a, um, a plaid jacket, like a tartan jacket on top as well. So it's almost like, you know, in Texas they have denim on denim. So denim jacket, denim jeans. That's a Texas tuxedo. This is like some sort of pajama tuxedo going on with um but it's not the same tartan not the same plaid he's got clashing plaids now how much of a fashion faux pas is clashing plaids clashing tartans i mean it's almost like a civil war william wallace would not be happy at this point mel gibson would probably throw another fit and get himself cancelled from hollywood again uh also uh flopsy mopsy and cottontail and um the the, the pain the, the sheer pain and, I mean, it, it's awful what happens when these Uber Eats reminders come up. It, it is like nails down a chalkboard. It's like stabbing in the back. Uber Eats reminders, why do I despise them so much? I mean, and I really, really, really do. Um, yesterday, we did talk about the very romantic uh, Andrea Bocelli uh, obsessed taxi driver that i had we we did talk about that we also how um if you're flatulent you may be depressed as well uh today we'll be talking about fall versus autumn uh fall versus autumn so we have the fall in america and autumn in the uk um vegan bacon made out of bread uh also james bond no time to die characters sorted into their hogwarts houses I tell you something, my favorite very British problems uh, site on the internet, also on Twitter, we have an absolute classic from very British problems, uh, problems in the real world uh, defined in a sort of Britishism type of way. Uh, We do have some Trump or trombone. Uh, We uh, have um, some eccentric eating habits of despots. We may be able to fit that in today. Let's see if we can squeeze that in. Uh, but here's your podcast. So we started off by basically butterf- butterflying a chicken, and uh, now we're getting into the meat of the show. The fall versus the autumn. Why in America it's the fall and the autumn 
in Britain. Why is the season called Autumn in Britain and Fall in North America? In her recent book, Word Perfect, Susie Dent, the lexographer, makes a case that fall is perfectly acceptable in the UK. But Leslie Thomas argues that the fall is none of the autumn's beauty and poetry. Fall as a season was used in England centuries ago. In 1545, Roger Ascham, scholar and tutor to Elizabeth I, listed the seasons springtime, summer, fall of the leaf, and winter, whereof the whole winter. Eventually, fall of the leaf became fall, and in 1664, John Evelyn, the diarist and uh, tree expert, described how oak trees had fullness of leaves which tarnish and become yellow at the fall. And yet autumn has been used much earlier. Chaucer wrote in 1374, autumn comes again, heavy of apples, and Shakespeare often used the word as in A Midsummer Night's Dream, the chiding autumn. There is no romance attached to the word autumn, as John Donne wrote, no spring, no summer beauty have such grace as I've seen in one autumn's face. As uh, English colonists settled in North America, they too spoke of autumn. Through 1755, fall appeared in the publication when Samuel Johnson included in his Dictionary of the English Language. By the 1800s, American English used fall and autumn through fall eventually won out. But in 1908, Henry Fowler, the English lexographer, lamented the passing of fall. Fall is better on the merits than autumn in every way. It's short, Saxon, like the other three seasons named picturesque, reveals his derivation to everyone who uses it, not to the scholar only like autumn. And he continued, we once had as good a right to it as the Americans, but we have chosen to let the right lapse and use the word now is no better than larceny. And the fall has added benefits. It's easier to recall how to change the clocks in spring and autumn, spring forward, fall back. But I just still absolutely fine autumnal delicious i rediscovered something yesterday it like almost like the dead sea scrolls in qumran i uh i rediscovered the wonders of sweet cream now i first discovered i mean i've always loved cream cheese cream anything dairy no no uh no dairy intolerance uh, from your dear host here. But for quite some time, I couldn't find it. So at the beginning of the pandemic, my fridge was laden with sweet cream. And then all of a sudden, halfway through the pandemic into this summer, autumn of uh, 2020, I couldn't find it anywhere. It's just like oat milk. Everything was oat milk or sweet coconut milk. I couldn't find it. And it's the only thing, I'm going to sound like a, a complete Judas here, but it's the only thing that makes coffee palatable for me. I mean, I'm not a connoisseur of coffee. I'm not really into espresso. I love an espresso, but I have to have that frothed up, creamy goodness of sweet cream. And all of a sudden, the other day, on one of the uh, food delivery apps, I rediscovered it. Now, I wonder, had it gone missing? Were the, uh, was the cow juice not sweet anymore? Something along those lines. But my palate did exclaim the Alleluia Chorus when 
I frothed up the sweet cream, poured it into the espresso, and it was wondrous, absolutely delicious. I mean, it's as good as it ever was. But where did it go for those eight months or so that I couldn't get it? I mean, does it get, come into your life and you get addicted to it and then it disappears and teases you from whatever hidden hovel that it disappeared in? But I tell you something. If you haven't had the sweet cream, you, you, need, to, you need to try it. It's, uh, it. It makes probably any coffee palatable. Even some of the coffee my dear grandmother has served me before. Now, Bailey's makes that rather delicious. But the sweet cream has been rediscovered. And it's, once again, a joyous addition to my life. And able for me to start stomaching coffee again. One of my favourite sites is Very British Problems. Lots of little books out there. Very worth getting if you're... Uh, into the any of the expat stuff or some of the nonsense. So here are some very British problems with fry-ups, the full English breakfast. Number one, coming to the conclusion that there are two types of people in the world, people who like baked beans in a separate little pot and normal people. Number two, hope you like your bacon crispy. Translation, hope you enjoy eating pork-flavoured ash to the sound of a fire alarm. Number three, worrying the cafe's gut buster option might not... Uh, sate your appetite so opting for the double mega gut buster which is free if you finish it number four asking somebody how they'd like their eggs receiving the answer poached and hissing you bastard under your breath number five hoping that the double helping of fried bread won't kill you while conceding that it's a damn fine way to go number six arguing that chips have no place in a cooked breakfast as you polish off the last remaining one on your plate. Number seven, quietly but eternally furious that your dining partner asks for no sausages instead of just donating them to you. Uh, number eight, daring to offer an opinion about fry-ups on social media with the result that now you have 500 strangers calling you an idiot. Number nine, acting surprised that you feel a bit stuffed after forcing 4,000 calories into your belly by 9am. Number 10, knowing the whole meal would be rendered completely joyless if it wasn't for the mug of tea which you washed it down with. So I like to talk about short legs again. So everybody listens to this podcast regularly, and it's my, it's my sort of only chagrin, one of my chagrins, uh, is the fact that I have very short legs. So incredibly long back, short legs, and uh, probably a 30-inch leg. So go and measure that. Probably one of your children has... A longer leg than a 30 inch leg and I'm a 44 year old man and I'm six foot two so anyway just imagine that I mean I think I said this before I remember when I went to my sister's wedding and uh, I had to measure myself up so you know everything measured inside leg waist chest shoulders all of it knees knees toes and bumps a daisy everything was measured not that matron um, and uh, I sent the measurements to my sister and she sent it to the tailor, who's going to supply me with the with the uh, with the morning suit. And the tailor called her and said, "Are you sure this is his measurements? I mean, is he some sort of like hunchback or Shrek or you know, somewhere a giant or something? All his proportions are wrong." And my sister said, "Yeah, that's him." So 
I remember when I turned up at the store to pick up the suit. The lady would never met me before. She said, you're chappy, aren't you? She saw from my... So obviously the dimensions were correct. But now I found... So on an aeroplane, in a, in a concert hall, any of those things, if it's cramped, if there's no leg room, just with how short legs doesn't mean anything. I have now discovered, well, not not just today, but I have huge feet, size 13 feet, and my feet get wedged. So forget the short legs. My feet are actually getting wedged and I can't move. So now I'm sort of manspreading with my legs wide apart. I know it's not a good habit. Boris does it all the time. I've noticed myself that I'm probably going to ba- break a world record of manspreading in terms of my legs being so far apart. But I sort of had to do the 10 to 2 thing, the John Wayne thing, to get my feet spread out so I have room for them. Because I could get wedged in there and stuck for an eternity with my feet being so big. So anyway, no complaints. But uh, yeah, if, if, there's any, if you're getting wedged in there, it's sometimes not about the short leg. It's about having big feet. So the new Bond movie, No Time to Die, features many different personalities that Hogwarts would love to accept. So which houses do the James Bond characters belong in? It's always interesting to take a deeper look into characters. Uh, obviously, you have Daniel Craig against Lucifer uh, Safin in the latest Bond movie. A great way for contemporary audience to understand character quality is through the Hogwarts houses in the Harry Potter series. Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, Slytherin and Hufflepuff all have the preference for attributes arranged from bravery, intellect, ambition, loyalty. So let's examine in no time to die. What have we got? So 10 out of 10, M is Slytherin. The reveal of M being the one to commission Project Heracles will no doubt bring many questions about James Bond fans over his integrity. M represents a Slytherin trait of ambition with the people of this house. Sometimes getting a tunnel vision for their goals and thinking of the consequences. Slytherins are also concerned more about themselves with M's interests largely having to do preserving MI6. Slytherin personalities do create close bonds and they value. And M certainly had a great deal of respect for Bond. So M is a Slytherin. Paloma is a Hufflepuff. While No Time to Die can be seen as one of the darkest James Bond movies, Paloma's cameo was a bright appearance. Hufflepuffs tend to be charming, loyal, and don't boast about their talents. Paloma portrayed the house's attributes by coming across as an unassuming figure. What? She kicked ass. What's ridiculous? Anyway, Ernst Stavro Blofeld is a Slytherin. So we have Ernst Stavro Blofeld as a Slytherin. The most extreme type of Slytherin. Completely, completely diabolical like Voldemort with Blofeld coming across the same lines. His vanity, which such as he found pleasure in ruining Bond's relationship with Madeline, even though it didn't benefit him personally. Blofeld retained the Slytherin attribute of arrogance when he rubbed in his influence as Spectre in Bond's face despite the organizing's end to the hands of Safin. Slytherins never admit defeat with Blofeld remaining defiant till the very end. Nomi's a Gryffindor. Gryffindors have the tendency to be overly emotional, argumentative and brash when they feel threatened. Nomi showed these qualities when she was insecure about Bond being 007 again. On the other hand, she had positive Gryffindor attributes with a daring nature in the face of enormous challenges. Felix is a Gryffindor. 
Uh, Felix turned out to be a Gryffindor. People from these houses are selfless in sacrifice and generally have no fear of death. Gryffindors also value friendship and loyalty, and they hold on to these even in their final moments. Felix is a Gryffindor brave, and he wasn't afraid to do what he had to do. Q, Hufflepuff. Smart characters are largely grouped into Ravenclaw, but this would be inaccurate to consider Q just for his intelligent. Hufflepuffs are deeply loyal to the point where they can wholeheartedly be trusted and they'll go the distance to prove they were worth. So Q's a Hufflepuff. Money Penny's a Ravenclaw. It's too bad that Money Penny was given a minor role in the film. She has a level of perception that Ravenclaws will be familiar with, which is something that enables them to anticipate where others can't. Safin. Safin is a Ravenclaw. Dangerous Ravenclaws can be detached from their emotions and become very fixed upon the ideas of progress through their intellectual prowess. Safin's goal was to bring an end to Spectre, only intend to use the nanobots to subjugate the world, but he had too many plans in store. Ravenclaws are not very good in positions of power and can let go of morality. This is what happened in Safin's case. Madeline Swan is a Hufflepuff, preferring to remain low-key, they're content with being out of the spotlight. People with the house's personality traits place value in being trusted by others and don't like to be in bad relations with anybody. Madeline has this attitude towards Bond and she was shattered and she thought she betrayed him. Madeline was happy though, essentially hidden away from everybody else and uh, she was very uncomfortable when she was forced back to being associated with Spectre. He tried her best to win Bond back and Bond won his trust back as Hufflepuff personalities generally can't stand when somebody has the wrong idea about them. James Bond a Gryffindor. So Gryffindors respect a, a, a good death more than anybody, uh, than any other houses, and they see courageous personalities. Bond depicted the Gryffindor trait as sacrifice. Gryffindors are extremely devoted to their friends and family, and this is the case of Bond and his loyal service to Her Majesty. Another session of Jumper Jenga, and it's Junker Jumper Jenga unzipped today, ladies and gentlemen. So, okay. Now, all of my sweaters, once I moved from Old Chappie Towers, uh, a lot of them anyway, were put into these uh, little zippy bags to keep them nice and organized. And that's exactly what happened. So, I am going to unzip and reveal... The sweaters, the jumpers. So, okay. So this is Jumper Jenga Unzept Autumn Edition. And we're going to stack them up as we always do. And we're going to see which sweater or jumper falls to the ground. And that one has to be donated. And let's hope it's not a favourite. So, what have we got? We've got a huge, like, shawl-like uh, cardigan uh, with, a, with a big collar. That's going, I'm putting that up on first on the Oki. That's first on the stack. The short collar, it's gray. All right, now we have a sleeveless vest cricket jumper. That's going second. A sleeveless gray vest, third. Okay. All right, what have we got next? We have a navy blue cardigan. Lots of navy blue, as always, in Chappie's collection. Another navy blue cardigan. We have a navy blue, but with turquoise argyle. Another navy blue, slightly, uh, <laughs> slightly dog-haired ridden 
uh, Ralph Lauren sweater. We have a black ribbed turtleneck. And we have another sort of a, like a, a gray, grayish short collar cardigan. And okay, what do we got last up here? We have a Argyle cardigan. Okay, so they're all stacked. The whole, the whole world could come tumbling down here. So we're going to take the very thick wool cardigan from the bottom and we're going to take it to the top and see what happens here. Nothing fell down yet. That's just my papers falling down. So the gray cardigan is at the top here. So we're going to take now the Ralph Lauren embossed navy blue sweater. We're removing that from the pile onto the top. Everything's still standing. The uh, white cricket jumper goes from the bottom to the top. So now it's a big boy. It's the ribbed turtleneck. Rib turtleneck. Oh no, the rib turtleneck. The rib, or the led to repeat the rib turtleneck took the whole of the house of cards tumbling down. So I'm afraid to say, all of you fans out there for the rib turtleneck, that's gonna have to go to the charity shop. The rib turtleneck will be taken to the thrift store and donated to a thrift store near you. Thank you very much for listening to the latest edition of Jumper Jenga. There'll be more coming up. Maybe we'll do a Jumper Jenga Christmas edition soon. But to repeat, breaking news. Breaking news coming in on the wires. The ribbed turtleneck brought the whole mountainous element of sweaters tumbling down. And that's going to have to be donated. Hank off. So love a little bit of visual comedy on Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. So here we go. I'm a broccoli and I look like a tree. I'm a walnut and I look like a brain. I am a mushroom and I hate this game. TikTok has become the hub for all kinds of food hacks and recipes, including some which are slightly outside of the box, like this one, vegan bacon made from bread. RJ the Magician shared his recipe for the strain concoction July the 24th on TikTok. Uh, based from a base of bread and a list of seasonings, the result is unbelievably real-looking bacon alternative. RJ explained in the post that he got the idea from using bread because it gets compact and squishy. It's absorbent. It'll absorb anything you put it on, and it's made to get crispy. I tried it, and it works. And he showed his viewers how they can do it for themselves. To start, RJ flattened the bread using a rolling pin, but added the hands can uh, do the work as well before cutting it into bacon-sized strips. The next step was adding the bacon flavor to the bread using a mixture of sauces and seasonings, a quarter cup of maple syrup, quarter cup of soy sauce, three tablespoons of olive oil, half a teaspoon of smoked paprika, one teaspoon of garlic powder, a pinch of MSG, and a nutritional yeast. Uh, then JR also presented liquid smoke and Tabasco chipotle sauce in the video but didn't specify the measurements in the comments. He did, however, advise that you try different ratios to find your preferred flavor. He then dipped the bread into the mixture, let it sit for a minute, then he pan-fried the bread with olive oil and vegan butter on a low heat while flipping it. Flip it a lot, he said. Take it out, place the hot bacon on some forks, and it'll give it the curve. 
said placing the bread over the lined up forks helped create the dents. RJ described the recipe as almost candied bacon and it was the best thing that he had ever created. Oi, trouble trombone. So a police sergeant and firefighter who believes that the American government played a part in 9-11 has revealed his new tattoo sleeve of conspiracy theories. TJ Hall said he was not concerned about trolling or criticism. He's done extensive research. That includes questioning the truth surrounding the uh, 1969 moon landing because Neil Armstrong uh, is alien spelled backward. That's Neil. Uh, 31-year-old dad said he spent more than uh, 2,500 on the uh, sleeve. He told the Daily Star, I'm not worried about the backlash because these are my beliefs and I've researched them and read about them extensively. I believe in all my conspiracy theories, but it doesn't mean I'm not willing to learn or keep an open mind. So the tattoos on his right arm also depict an Area 51 warning in quotes saying the truth will set us free. Uh, a picture on his elbow also symbolizes the Big Bang in outer space with meters exploding different directions. And under a picture of smoke billowing from the Twin Towers, realize, realize real lies uh, explaining why he got the words inked he said to me part symbolizes the fact that you can't always uh, fall into the trap that the government and media try to force feed you it's always best to do your own research and use the information um he also said that uh, he works as a swat operator with a police department in north carolina and said he wanted a tattoo sleeve but had no design ideas uh, he also uh, had bought a book called beyond the pale horse a trip that he's been hooked on ever since and he got the World Trade Center conspiracy uh, theory on his inner bicep. Because after reading a chapter in the book called American Conspiracies, it opened his eyes to our own government played a part in the attacks. Uh, the conspiracy tats also designed by Philip Holler of uh, Wicked Needle in uh, Rutherfordton. He also added a, a portrait of uh, John F. Kennedy uh, to his arm. He speculates that JFK lost his life because he's trying to get the military to release documents indicating what they're really doing with the military installation at Area 51. But one of his craziest theories, by all accounts, is that Captain Kirk was going to actually be blasted into space. And Rumseya Gaidler from the Karabakh province in Turkey stands at a whopping 7 feet uh, 7 inches, earning her new entry into the Guinness Book of Records of the tallest living woman. It isn't the first time she's found a name in the famous book either. The Turk had crowned tallest teenager alive in 2014. The degree of tallest living woman is not one that changes hands very often, so I'm excited to share the news with the world. Maybe this is just based around a diet of eating purely Turkish delight, full of Eastern promise. And a photographer discovered one of the world's most venomous spiders lurking under his bed with hundreds of his babies. Gil was in noticed tiny spiders in the bedroom and looked under the bed to see where they were coming from. To his surprise, it was greeted by a Brazilian wandering spider and its offspring whilst he was staying in a reserve in Napo province in eastern Ecuador. The spider, which is as big as a human hand, was seemingly guarding her children taking refuge under Mr. Wilson's bed. He managed to take the photograph to document uh, his face-to-face -face encounter with the venomous creature and won a prestigious award. According to the notes on the award website, uh, Wilson used uh, perspective to make it appear even larger than it really was. Hmm, a spider bigger than your hand. I think that's too much five-knuckle shuffling, a hairy hand blindness, and a spider that looks like your hairy hand. <coughs> Yes, we have some very important breaking news right now. Queen Elizabeth reportedly advised to drop her daily cocktail, and it seems a trifle unfair. 
even a sherry unfair. Even though Queen Elizabeth is not a big drinker, a family friend tells Vanity Fair that 95-year-old Monarch does not appreciate having to give up one of her few pleasures. Queen Elizabeth has been advised by doctors not to partake in her favourite cocktails. The Queen has been told to give up her evening drink, which usually involves a martini. It's not really a big deal for her. She's not a big drinker. Uh, but the Queen, who was seen this week walking with the assistance of a cane, it's been revealed that she's not a wine aficionado. Uh, I don't actually drink wine for myself, but I hear it's, I hear it's very good. That, that being said, the monarch has been known to favour a tipple of Dubonnet, a gin with a slice of lemon and a lot of ice. She's also love enjoy a bone-dry martini, handy since Buckingham Palace has its own brand. And she reportedly also enjoys a champagne nightcap before bed. But again, breaking news, the Queen is being forced to give up her favourite tipple. I wonder if you've wondered how to harden your conquer. I mean, there's no little blue pill method for hardening your conquer. But we do have five tips on how to harden your conquer by the uh, Peckham Conquer Society. Uh, also, soak your conquer in vinegar and bake. Uh, put your conquer in an oven on a low temperature and bake. Cover your conquer in nail varnish. Fill the conquer with glue, Gorilla Glue being the best. Age your conquer by leaving it in a drawer, dark place for a year or two. So you've got an antique conquer. But anyway, soaking your conquer in vinegar will essentially pickle it, naturally removing some of the moisture from inside, whilst at the same time hardening the outside without 100% drying it out. This balance of moisture and hardness is important as you don't want a 100% hard conquer. Otherwise, it'll be too brittle and easily disintegrate when knocked into. Put them in the oven overnight at a slow temperature. If you don't have any vinegar, the simpler option is to put your conquer in the oven at a slow temperature overnight. This will speed up the natural drying out process. Be careful with what temperature you put it at because you don't want it to dry out or burn your house down. Cover your conquer in nail varnish. For those who don't have access to a supply of nail varnish, painting a layer of clear varnish over your conquer will create a protective layer, meaning that it is harder for the conquer to crack. Uh, don't uh, paint your conquer in dusky pink. It might be disqualified. Fill your conquer with glue. A conquer that's made of two parts shell in its core. One tactic is to hollow out the core of your conquer and replace it with glue. Leave your conquer in a drawer for a year or two. The Antiques Roadshow Conquer. Aging a conquer is the most natural and arguably the best way to harden a conquer. Uh, naturally lose some of the moisture and it becomes harder. One important factor when aging a conquer is to make sure that you get humidity correct. Too much moisture and it results in your conquer going moldy uh, too little and your conquer will overcook and become too brittle. So make sure you're storing your conquer in the sock drawer. Maybe wrap it in a sock or something. Uh, but uh, just be careful what sort of sock you wrap it in. Absolutely delightful, darlings. You're joining me on the podcast today. Thank you very much. We spatched shock to chicken. We talked about hardening conkers. Uh, we talked about the queen giving up booze. So many, so many things. We had a little game of unzip jumper junker 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 jumper changer. I think I need to lie down. I've had too much caffeine today. Admittedly, too much caffeine. Too much caffeine for your dear chappy. Anyway. I will be back again next week uh, for another uh, round of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. Maybe we'll holler out a pumpkin together next week. Who knows? Um, but uh, you can listen across all platforms. If you drill into a conker and then press the drilled conker up to your ear, you can hear 
keep calm and cauliflower cheese. It, it, it evolves from the conquer. I mean, you can hear it anywhere. Spotify, the musical edition, where you've got some Sophie Ellis Bexter, you've got some uh, Solid as a Rock, you've got some Ed Sheeran, you've got some Paul McCartney, you've got some Elton John, Ariana Grande, some Weezer, you've got uh, some also some Istanbul, Constantinople, they might be giants. So much packed into the musical edition. Uh, but if you like your audio, Apple Music, across Pandora, iHeartRadio, all of those platforms you can hear it. Thank you so much for your support. Like and subscribe. Instagram at Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese for all the nonsense that I put up. It's me appearing from a bush earlier on. Yes, Matron. Coming up next, we have a delightful autumnal poem. This is Pleasant Sounds by John Clare. The rustling of leaves under the feet in woods and under the hedges, the crumpling of cat ice and snow down wooden rides, narrow lanes in every street causeway, rustling through a wood, or rather rushing, while the wind halloos in the oak top like thunder. The rustle of birds' wings startled from their nests or flying unseen in the bushes, the whizzing of larger birds overhead in a wood, such as crowds, paddocks, buzzards, the trample of robins and woodlarks on the brown leaves and the patter of squirrels on the green moss, the fall of an acorn on the ground, the pattering of nuts on the hazel branches as they fall from ripeness, the flirt of the ground lark's wing from the stubbles. How sweet such a picture on dewy mornings when the dew flashes from its brown feathers. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast this week. It's been uh, super to have you here. Uh, have a lovely week. Enjoy all the autumn festivities. And I will be back again next week. Until then, cheerio.